0: Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Well, we are excited that you're here. We're jumping into week three of our Be a Light series. We're excited to have those folks that are watching with us online online. Uh, this morning. If you were here with us last week, we really began to uh, break down in in detail what Jesus was talking about in his most famous sermons when he he said in the Sermon on the Mount that you and I are the light of the world. He said a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He said neither do people uh, take a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead they place it on a stand so everyone in the room can see. And he said in the same way let your light shine so that men may see your good deeds and and praise your Father in heaven. So from that, we said part of what it means to be a light is that we're called to shine and and not hide. And we we dug a little deeper last week and said, you know, a common mistake that we make as we think about being a light is that we have to produce light. We can't produce light. We reflect light. We don't produce light. And then as we ended last week, we said, you know, one of the things that light does is light uh, gives us direction. Light leads us home. And so we're gonna continue on in this series talking about what it means to be a light, and we're going to change gears a little bit today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see another thing that light does. Now, uh, before we jump in, let me just say this. We've entitled the, this message, Blind Spots and, and Lost Causes, because I, I believe those are two things that all of us have in our life. We have blind spots. We have things. I have things in my life that I might be believing right now to be true that just aren't true I never will forget when I was 14 years old, I have an uncle, I still have him, he's the coolest guy, and as a kid I always wanted just to be around him, hang around him, and so uh, one year he took me skiing, I was a 14 year old boy, I never will forget, we went to Paoli, Indiana, any of you ever been to Paoli, Indiana? It's like the strangest place on planet earth, you're like in cornfields, and the next minute you're in Switzerland, now back to cornfields, it's like, what just happened here? But we were there skiing, and we spent the whole day skiing, and, and after we'd done, done skiing, he said, uh, you want to drive home? I was 14. I said, yeah, I want to drive home. If you're a 14-year-old, don't ask for that. We didn't value life as much back in the 80s. It was, uh, it was, it was really, a, really a different day, to be honest. And he said, well, go ahead. Have you ever driven? I said, yeah, I hadn't, but, uh, you know, anyhow. So I'm driving, and we're on like uh, two-lane country roads, and I, that was fun. And then we, we, we got on the interstate. That's scary, isn't it? I'm a 14-year-old driving my uncle's truck on the interstate. It was I mean, the skiing paled in comparison to what we're at now. And I never will forget, I'm there, and I'm, I'm driving on the interstate, and I'm right beside a big 18-wheeler. And my uncle raises his, his voice, and he got intense. He said, he said never, ever do what you're doing right now. Underage driving? No, I, he said, he, I didn't say that. He said, never get beside an 18-wheeler. Right now, he can't see you. You're in his blind spot. you always be in front or always be behind and I never will forget that. He said, "You know what? He's just—he could just come over just in a second. He doesn't even know you're there, and it could be over. So always stay in front or stay in behind." And so it was that moment you kind of got this idea of blind spots and how how dangerous they are. But we're going to take a look at some blind spots today, and we're really going to see the purpose of light. One of the purpose of light is—is is light's going to reveal truth to these blind spots in our life. So if you have your Bible, let's, let's go ahead and take a look at one of the most important stories in the New Testament. It is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And you might say, well, why is that one of the most important events? Well, take a look around you today. There wouldn't be anybody here today, most likely, without this because Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. The Bible you're holding in your hand a vast majority of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Outside of what happens in the birth, life, death, resurrection of of Jesus Christ, the conversion of the Apostle Paul uh, may be one of the most significant events in all of Christianity. And so here's how it unfolds today. In Acts chapter nine it says, meanwhile Saul, and that that can be a little confusing if you're you're new to Bible study. Uh, Saul, uh, uh, Paul, this is the same person, Saul and Paul, uh, he had a, a Jewish mom and a Gentile Roman father who was a Roman citizen, so, so Paul kind of lived in two worlds in this, this culture. And so Saul was this uh, Hebrew name that he went by, but then Paul, most of the New Testament we see him referred to as Paul because he's ministering to Gentiles in the Roman Empire. That was just free. Are you thankful for that? All right, good deal. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he is infuriated. This is after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven in the church age. Pentecost has happened. The church of Jesus Christ has begun. It's spreading. And Paul's mission is to stamp out the church of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 7, he oversees uh, the murder of a deacon named Stephen. So this is how violent uh, this man was. So it says he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So what is Paul doing? Uh, Paul has access to the high priest, so that tells us that Paul has power, position. He makes his way 150 miles from Jerusalem to the north, to the country of Syria, to the city of Damascus because he heard there were some believers there and he wanted to drag them out of an assembly like this where people were worshiping Jesus, take them back to Jerusalem in hopes that they would be stoned and killed as Stephen was. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light, there it is, a light from heaven flashed around him. So so we're going to clearly see who this light is this is none other than the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ who appears to Paul he appears to him in such unapproachable powerful light it says that Paul in the presence of this light verse 4 fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me underline that we'll come back to that one in just a moment verse 5 Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, Jesus speaking to Paul, now get up and go back into the city, and you will be told what you must do. If you write in your Bible as we encourage you to do, you just might want to write the word obey there, because we're gonna we're gonna see that. Let me just stop here and tell you something. I've heard this all my life in church you know people talk about sharing their testimony and people will say you know what i don't have like that amazing testimony i don't have like that damascus road that's where they get that that damascus road blinded by the light apostle paul testimony but we're going to see that the elements in paul's salvation are elements that have to be in ours uh, as well and so we see him we see him obeying the lord And so the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, they heard the sound, but they did not see one. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So he is blinded, and I think one of the reasons that Paul experienced this blinding is because his physical blinding is meant to be used as a tool from God to really show him that his greatest problem was that he was spiritually, spiritually blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And so here you see, and if you write in your Bible as I do, you just might write the word humility here. Here is this proud, prominent man who is humbling himself, and he's being led uh, by the hand like a little child back into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or, or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, Uh, a disciple just means someone who followed Jesus, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, Ananias responds, yes, Lord, Uh, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, verse 12, I love, watch this, in a vision, in other words, the Lord is telling Ananias, who has to be scared to death at this point, right, I mean, if you're a Christian living in Damascus at this time, you know public enemy number one, the most violent persecutor of the church is on his way to come and attack you. But watch what happens in verse 12, in a vision, this is Jesus speaking to Ananias, in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Can I just say something just really quickly, I haven't had time to do that And the other services, but you get blessed today, right? (laughs) Ministry's scary, isn't it? Can we be honest? Sometimes to go and and maybe share the gospel with someone, is that that scary? Sometimes when God's calling us to minister to someone, to to, to care for someone, share truth with someone, that, that can be scary, can't it? Can I tell you something that verse 12 helps me with? You will never go share truth with anybody. If God has laid somebody on your heart in your life to share the gospel with, maybe it's somebody in the office, neighborhood, a friend at school, if God is working on you to go and speak to them, guess what? This is so cool. Guess where God is? He's working on them. He's already there. You see, sometimes people say, I want to see God. Well, you, you, wh- why don't we see God move? You start ministering to the people that God's called you to minister to, and you'll see him because he's already there working on their heart. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Does that encourage you, give you some peace a little bit? It does me. The Lord answered, our, our Lord." excuse me, Ananias answered, Lord, I have, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You know what Ananias is doing? He's questioning God. He's like, wait a minute, if I can just go over this. Like, I don't don't know if you know who Paul is because you got a lot going on because you're God. Uh, But just to remind you that This is the same guy who just oversaw the murder of Stephen. He's coming, just just so you know. He's questioning God. Have we ever done that? (laughs) Yeah, we've done that. And, And God is just, he's patient with Ananias, isn't he? He's patient with Ananias. But he's clear. He said, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Let me say this about verse 15. If you're a person here or you're watching online today, and you are skeptical of the teachings of Scripture. I understand that. I get that. Here's one of the things that ought to cause you to kind of have some pause a little bit about that. Because what's said in verse 15, historically we know it happened. That the Apostle Paul stood before Roman uh, political leaders, governors, Emperors in the Roman Empire, the most powerful men on planet earth at that time, Paul got to go and preach and teach to them before his life was over, exactly as the Lord said would happen. Verse 16, that has nothing to do with the sermon today, by the way. I just think it's super cool. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, we just skip over that. That's weird. Surely that has to mean something other than suffering for his name. Because in verse 15, it says that God chose Paul. And then in verse 16, it said that Paul's going to experience suffering. We'll get to it. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hand on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think this is a really beautiful picture. Here's Ananias coming into this house. Guys, listen, he's scared to death. Wouldn't you be? And he comes in and he, see this, he sees this humbled man, a man who's not able to see, a man who's, who, who hasn't eaten in three days. He sees a broken man, so he, sees, he knows this. He knows God's at work in this man's life. And he puts his hand on him, and what does he call him? Brother. Isn't that cool? Because he, and and, and I don't believe at this point that that Paul is is born again, but but Ananias is seeing what God is in the process of doing in Paul's life. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. So we see him obeying just like what Ken did a few moments ago. And others obeyed the Lord and went public with with their faith. And after taking some food, he regained his his strength. And, And Saul, the scripture says, spent several days in Damascus. Now, Here's what I want us to do for the next few minutes. If you have your notes, it would be a great time to go ahead and take them out. Here's what we're going to see. Just one point today. Some of you are like, well, that means we'll get out early. No, no, not necessarily. It's just a long, long, long Don't <laughs> get too hopeful. Light reveals truth. When Jesus says that we're the light of the world, and in this series we're talking about God is calling us to be a light, right? So part of what that means is that we are to, to reveal truth. Now, we're going to say this this statement over and over again. It's going to sound a little weird at first. Light reveals truth so that light can reveal truth. God's light his word his power and his presence God reveals truth to us so that we the light of the world can reveal truth to others that's part of what God's doing any of you don't like to watch like the CSI CSI Murfreesboro I think they have that one now I mean there's CSI everywhere right um but I, I love those kind of I love those kind of shows I've told you before Amy and I love a good Dateline. like really into it pretty heavy um but I like the investigative stuff you like that I mean, I like to see, you know, I don't like that a crime took place. I'm not saying that, I'm just saying, you know, after that, I just love to see how they go in and they investigate, investigate crime scenes. And sometimes if you're watching a CSI or you're watching a Dateline or whatever, you, you'll go into a house where several years earlier, uh, a murder was committed and there will be a room there and you really can't see anything, right? It just looks like a normal, maybe bedroom. And then somebody sprays some luminol, and then they turn the lights out, and then they expose that to this black light, which I'm super, I feel like a crime scene investigator today. I'm pretty jacked up about this, to be honest. With the black light, and then all of a sudden you see this blood spatter and all on the walls. You think, man, where did that come from? I didn't even know that was there. That's what light will do. Light reveals truth. So light can reveal truth. Now, here's why this is so important for you and for me. Do you want, let me ask you this, do you wanna be free emotionally? I do, I wanna be, be free in every area of my life and I think you would too but you're too embarrassed in church to say it. We wanna experience freedom, right? Well, well, truth and freedom are inseparable. We will never be fully free in any area of our life apart from knowing the truth because that's what truth does right? So, and, and, and light really starts to eliminate the blind spots in our life, and you and I have them. We have blind spots. We have things we are believing that are so damaging, and they're keeping us from being free. It's like my uncle telling me, hey, don't drive beside an 18-wheeler. That's a blind spot. That's going to be dangerous. Wonder if I could ask you this question today. What if, what if there was something right now you are believing, and it is wrong? Would you want to know the truth? That's been, I don't think that's a trick question. Yes, I want to know the truth because I'm never going to be free until I know the truth, right? So, let's look at something here's what we're going to do from the story from Acts chapter 9 we're going to look at four blind spots really that Paul had that we see in the story and this is why this is super interesting to me these are common blind spots false beliefs whatever you want to call them that are present in the culture and so sometimes people will say well I love apologetics you ever heard anybody say that maybe you you love apologetics and apologetics is defending the faith that's sort of like a stained glass churchy word knowing how to defend your faith and some of you're like man I want to get too deep into all that that kind of weirds me out but here's here's the thing you don't have to know all that stuff if you can just remember this story like you won't remember this sermon nobody really remembers a ton out of sermons I mean I'm a preacher I, I get that but we remember stories right and if you can remember Paul's story there are four clear blind spots there that will really help you as you're revealing truth to other people and even in your inside your own life so here, here's the first one the first blind spot is this I want to show you here, here, here we go Here's the first blind spot. Religious sincerity equals salvation. This is a blind spot, false belief, but it is... Probably one of the most popular beliefs in our culture, and it has even crept into the church, many people, I would say most people in our culture today believe this, they believe it don't, that's good English, it doesn't really matter what you believe, it just matters how sincere you are in your belief, right? As long as someone is sincere in their belief, that's true for them. Now, let's think about Paul's story. Was Paul sincere in what he believed about Judaism? So, yes, so sincere he's trying to stomp out this movement we know as Christianity, So, watch this. We're going to bring the lights down. And you're going to have to, the the last service did awesome at this. It's going to be a little weird, right? But that's cool. Every now and then, change it up, keep it real. We are going to um, bring the lights down as if now. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, right there. And uh, what I'm going to do, behind me here, you see this this, uh, easel and this this, uh, board? Do, Do you see what's written there? No, you don't see. You can't see it. And so, we are going to... We're going to expose this to this black light, and then I want you to read aloud the light of truth that is attacking this blind spot that religious sincerity equals salvation. Let's look at the light of truth and expose that blind spot to that. That's only, can you read that? Sound it out, only. Good job, good job. Had to prime the pump a little bit there, but we got it, all right? So that's really the light of truth. And now, again, that is a super important thing. And you say, well, we all know that. We all know that. Well, I'm not so sure that we all do. And I'm quite sure there are more people, and it's even a hard thing to say, I'm quite sure that there are more people who will spend eternity separated from God because they have believed this false truth. Light reveals truth, so light can reveal truth. You see that? Now... Let's look at the next blind spot that we see here. I hear people say this. This may not be a whole lot of of fun for some of you. I hear people say this a lot. People say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. You ever heard anyone say that? You got a friend who said that, right? Yeah, we all got a friend who said, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. And that that sounds sort of spiritual, like that you just have this pure love for Jesus and just a disdain for all that's not right in the church. Now, let me just ask you to think about something for for just a second. I, I listen, I know the church has all kinds of warts. I, I get it. But any organization I've ever been a part of that's had people in it has had problems. I was a T-ball coach years ago for I think 5-year-olds and there was a threat on my life. I mean, that is a that's a That's a messed up group isn't it like wow i don't boycott baseball because that i mean my point is every organization that has people there's some there's kind of some wacky stuff but it seems so spiritual to to say it now watch this watch this acts chapter 9 verse 3 as he meaning paul Near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is the Lord Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. As Saul falls to the ground, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, let's think for a second. Think. What was Paul going to do? He was going to persecute who? The church. He was on his way to persecute the church. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? me now let's cut the lights let's do this number two we 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 said this we we said that a blind spot is is really believing that we can love Jesus and not love the church but let's expose a light let's put some light and watch it expose some truth so help me help me with this second one Love for Christ and love for his church are inseparable. That is what Jesus is saying to this blind spot that so many of us have in our culture today that would say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What is he saying? To say that love for me is... And love for the church are inseparable. You can't love Christ. We've said this a hundred times. You can't love Christ and not at some level love his bride. You can't invite me to lunch today and say, hey, we're grilling out and we want you to come over. I've told you this a hundred times. You can't invite me over and then I ask, what can I bring? Well, you don't have to bring anything. Just don't, don't, don't bring your wife. Like I'm not coming to lunch at your house today, right? Because my wife and I are in, inseparable. You, you, here's the thing: You can't love me and not love my wife. That won't work, guys. Is this true? Someone can't love you and not love your wife. Is that true? Guys, this is a great moment for you to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> guys, they can't love you and not love your wife, right? That's right. I'm trying to help you guys out. Sometimes you can't even help you guys for crying out loud. The wife' just waking you up. Say yes to this, honey, please. <laughs> Feed the bear. here's what, I, I heard this this week. You know what? The church just embarrasses me. Heard someone say, the church embarrasses me. I'm sure I've embarrassed the Lord. I'm sure we all have. Here's the problem with this. Jesus identifies with it. He calls it his bride, right? So really, we're saying I can't identify with something that That Jesus identifies because you know what I'm too persnickety for that. I'm too I'm too embarrassed by these believers. So you're more persnickety than, than Jesus is. That's not a good word to use. But do you understand that that doesn't really wash, does it? That doesn't make a whole whole lot of whole lot of sense. But it is so true and so such a part of our culture. Now watch this, please. Listen to what I'm about to say because I'm getting some looks from some of you guys and and they're not good. Right? I've been doing this for a long time. I understand this. You think I'm trying to put a hard sell on you to be a part of this church? No. I mean, I'd love it if you want to come and be a a part, but one of the things about living in Middle Tennessee, you can be critical if you want. There's some great churches here. I mean, there are some great churches in Middle Tennessee. What I'm saying is find a place. Find a local body of believers. Link arms with them. Encourage each other. Challenge each other. That's why groups are so important. Hold each other accountable. Set under consistent Bible teaching as you're doing right now. Worship with other believers. Find out how you're gifted and use your gift as a part of a team. Connect, connect, connect. If not, that's a dangerous place to be. You're in a, you're in, it's a blind spot you see and, and and it leads you to be isolated and when we're isolated we're such easy targets of the enemy do you see what's in play here do you see what that blind spot is so so damaging right so as we grow in our our love for Christ one of the ways I think we're growing in our love for Christ is we begin to grow in our love for the bride and I got to be honest with you I'm Yeah, we're not where we need to be, but as Nick said this morning, isn't it cool that there was a worship service that we were having at at MTSU's campus this morning? Isn't that cool to be a part of that? It's not perfect, man, but it's pretty cool that one of the first gatherings that these freshmen who are coming to a college campus and the decisions they make in the first three to four months, really, of their college experience is going to really, in many ways, dictate their future, They're gathering this morning to worship Jesus with their family. Are you excited about that? And I'm excited about that. I'm excited today that we have folks, uh, uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Bob are down in the Dominican. And right now as I'm teaching, they're teaching parents in a third world country how to share Christ with their children so that they can expose them to the fruits of Jesus Christ and let that transform their life. That's exciting kind of stuff to me. So anybody can be critical. I I just want to tell you something. I'm, I'm done with that. It's easy to be critical. I, I want to contend for the gospel with my brothers and sisters in christ, and I think that's what I think that's what Jesus is saying now let's look at the let's look at the third blind spot. Here it is: If I have enough faith, I can avoid suffering. I hear that a lot in fact, if you were to stay at home today and and watch some of the most popular Preachers and teachers that fill the airways—you'll you'll hear that a lot. Really, if you if you have enough faith, then you can walk through life without having suffering. You can overcome that. You don't have to experience that. Now, here's what I would say to that: Paul's life really confuses me with that teaching. It really, con, really con, confuses me. Uh, and, and so let's cut the lights here and let's see, uh, let's reveal some light and, and, and see what the, what that light reveals as far as it relates to truth. Kind of dealing with that blind spot. If you have enough faith, you'll never have any, any suffering. You guys know the drill. Now this is the third one. You're getting it down, right? This is one of my favorite props ever. I hope I get to keep this. I don't, I don't know. I love it. Pretty cool, isn't it? Pain is not God paying us back. You say, how do you know that? Because God poured out all of his wrath on his son 2,000 years ago on the cross, right? Pain in our life is not God paying us back. Many times, pain in our life is a tool that God uses to bring us back. Now, why are we talking about this? Because pain, you're going to experience pain in your life. I'm going to experience pain in, in my life and pain can be a tool that God uses us to draw us even closer to him but what happens is if you have a blind spot you have a false belief to say that you know what I must not have enough faith God must not love me then it'll cause you to draw away from God and really miss out on what God wants to do in your life look at Acts chapter 9 verse 15 let's just go back there but the Lord said to Ananias go to this man he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel and then look at verse 16. verse 15 says God chose Paul to go and do ministry to, to be a, a leader and then verse 16 I will show him how much he must suffer for my name now watch this watch this in Acts chapter 9 just a few verses down from where we ended in verse, verse 19 here's the deal Paul is lowered down in a basket out of the city of Damascus, over the city wall. He's lowered down in a basket. Do you know why Paul was lowered down in a basket over the city wall in Damascus? Anybody know why that happened? Because there was a threat on his life. There were a group of people there who wanted to kill the apostle Paul, and so he escapes narrowly with his life. That sounds like a bit of suffering, doesn't it? I mean, this is very early in the story. Paul makes his way from Damascus, 150 miles back to Jerusalem. That's where the apostles were, Peter, James, and John. I mean, the boys, the inner circle, the guys who'd been with Jesus, and Paul's excited to tell them that he'd met Jesus on the Damascus road, but they didn't want to have anything to do with him there. In fact, as he's in Jerusalem, he's not there very long, and there's the second plot in a matter of days on Paul's life, and he has to flee for his life from Jerusalem. That sounds to me like a bit of suffering. Paul experiences multiple imprisonments. If you've studied the Scripture, you know. In fact, that's why we get so much of the New Testament. Paul's in prison. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. He was beaten multiple times, stoned and left for dead, snake bit, I put that in. Most preachers don't put that into his resume because that's like the worst for me. I'm going to hate that. And then he was beheaded at the hands of Nero. Now, I don't know about you. If you have to give me the top five Christians of all time, he's on that list. He's on that list. But yet the suffering that he endured... Unbelievable. So if you, if, you, if, if, you, if you believe that, you know what, if you have enough faith, you won't experience any suffering, Paul's life doesn't really line up with that. You kind of have a problem with that, you see? The truth of God's Word reveals that lie. Suffering can be one of God's greatest tools. I told you guys last week, I'll, I'll say this again. Right now for my family, we're going through one of the hardest seasons in our life Some of the stuff that that Amy is going through with her health right now is some of the hardest stuff that we have ever been through in our life. It's not a fun season for us. In fact, I would say the last two weeks have been some of the more difficult weeks. But I would say this, in the last 48 hours for me, and, and my guess is she would say the same thing. She's here. In the last 48 hours, I think God has showed me more about who he is than he has showed me in the last 10 years of my life. Suffering can be one of the greatest tools that God ever uses. You see, here's Paul behind the glory. Remember that back in the day, VH1, behind the music? Any of you? Yeah, it was great. Paul behind the glory, here it was. Paul was chosen, yet he was opposed Paul was chosen, yet God took many years to prepare him. If you study, read over in Galatians, certainly Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the timeline gets filled in. As far as I can tell, it took 17 years from Paul's call on the Damascus road until he begins to lead and pastor his first church, 17 years before he really gets to live out what God called him to do. Study the life of David. It's kind of like that as well. But some of you today, it's like you're single, you're wondering where where God is. Some of you, maybe God's called you to do something, but the doors aren't opening up like you thought they would. Immediately, that's kind of the way it is. If you study scripture, it really takes some time as God is forging his image within us. Paul was chosen, yet he suffered. Tozer, A.W. Tozer said it this way. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply or allowed him to experience wounding. We say this a lot here at New Vision. A valley that you're going through or a valley that you're in right now doesn't mean necessarily you made a wrong turn. Remember that? A valley doesn't mean a wrong turn. And and, and there's no surrender in our life, true spiritual surrender, I think, without a measure of suffering. Do you see it? I can say this, Ken, you're probably not here today being baptized and and letting God do what he's done in your life without a measure of suffering. Is that a true statement for you? Yeah. Yeah. Why was Paul blinded? Paul had to be blinded in order for God to give him vision for him to see the reality of what really was going on. He was blind to spiritual truth. And many times it just takes that in our life. I know we don't like it. Let me tell you a little story I heard years ago, and it's kind of crass and a little weird, but my guess is you'll remember it. There was a, there was a little bird, and he was flying south for winter. He just left too late, got caught up in a snowstorm, uh, and his wings froze, and he comes to the ground, and crashes, and he's lying there on the ground with his little frozen wings, and he thought, man, I cannot believe this has happened to me. I just left too late. Now I'm going to freeze to death right here in this field in the middle of nowhere. And about that time, a cow comes over and drops what cows drop, uh, pooped on the uh, little bird. And he thought, man, it's just gone from bad to worse. I'm going to freeze here in, uh, in cow manure. But what began to happen is his wings began to thaw the warmth of the That'll bless you right before lunch, right? And you think, man, my wings are my my wings are starting to, to fall thaw. I think I can fly. And he starts chirping. He's so excited about what's happening. He starts chirping. He chirps louder and louder. And and a cat hears him chirping and comes over and, and eats the bird. I didn't end the way you thought it was gonna end, did it? There's three lessons from the little bird story. It's not a great story, obviously. If there's any kids here, you got seriously messed up over that one, didn't you? Three 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 lessons that uh this not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Not everyone who digs you out of it is your friend. And when you're in the middle of it, might be better for us to, to keep our mouth shut and just wait and see what God's up to, right? That's a lesson from the bird. Yeah. <laughs> Richard liked that one. I knew you would, but that was just for just for you. Here's the, the, the close, the last thing today. Light reveals truth so that light can reveal truth. And I think this is the most important, most important part. Here's a blind spot. We say it like this, he's just a lost cause. She's a lost cause. You have any lost causes in your life? People you've just given up on? Maybe some of you, it's in your marriage. He's a lost cause. He's, he's never going to change Maybe it's a family member. They're just a lost cause. They're just never going to change. He's an addict. He's never going to change. Lost cause, lost cause. Who's the lost cause in your life? Someone You're just believing that, you know what, they're not going to change. Let's cut the lights one final time, and let's expose this board to light again and see what it reveals. Obviously, we don't see anything now. We expose it to light. Read with me. That's true, isn't it? No one is beyond God's transforming power. You say, well, how do you know that? Because of the Apostle Paul. Like, you don't have to remember the message, just remember him. What was he doing prior to this in Acts chapter 9? He was overseeing the murder of Christians. Now, I don't know what your past is, man. I don't know what it was like in college, and you ran wild. I mean, there was just some junk in your life, and you say, you know what? I don't think God could ever love me. But let me just tell you something. You ever done anything like that? You ever murdered Christians? You feel better about yourself now, don't you? In a sense, if God could love him and change him, what could he do in my life? And in fact, that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I wonder if that's not for you. For you, you're here today and you would say, you know what? Because of my past, I have out of reach of God's transforming power. Well, Paul's story reminds us that that is not true. What about the other people in your life? Who is it in your life? And I think we all have them. We all have lost causes, people in our life we've just given up on. We all have stuff in our own life, not necessarily people, but things in our life that we've just given up on. What have you given up on, and who have you given up on? You say, what do you mean, what have I given up on? Is there something in your life, it's a stronghold, it's a fear, it's an addiction, whatever. And you just feel like there is no way that I'm ever going to be able to to change. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to break free from this. Paul's story reminds me of the transforming power of God. That's the greatest thing about light. Listen, the greatest thing about light is light transforms. You get in the presence of light, God's light, it transforms. It breaks this hardened murder persecutor of the church and turns him into the greatest preacher and missionary in the history of the church that is the power of God's light who have you given up on and what have you given up on and what does Paul's story say to that you ever thought about this who was praying for Saul has that ever crossed your mind Was there somebody that prayed for Saul when he's on his rampage trying to destroy the church? Is that a strange question? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Do you know the Bible actually answers that question? Just turn back two pages, we're we're almost done. You can do this, man. We can see the finish line from here. Acts chapter seven, verse 59. Stephen, a deacon in the first church, has just preached an amazing message about the truth of who Christ is It did not go well. The Sanhedrin throws him in a hole, rushes at him, and and is stoning him. Paul, the Scripture says, is overseeing this. They lay their coats at, at at Paul's feet. But watch Stephen, verse 59, while they were stoning him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, his last words on planet Earth. He cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The one who was holding the coats, if you know the scripture, was Paul. And Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. Do you, do you know what? Stephen didn't believe in lost causes. In Acts chapter seven, he prays. And God hears that prayer and transforms this persecutor into the greatest missionary in the history of the church. Who have you given up on? And why? And why? Why? Because we have forgotten. There's a blind spot in our life, and we just think that somebody is beyond the reach of God's grace. I read a story this week in the New York Times. It was entitled, it got my attention. I don't always read a lot of the New York Times, but it got my attention. The jihadi jihadi who turned to, to Jesus I mean, that gets your attention. It told a story of a 22-year-old man, Muslim man, who came, recently came to faith in Christ, and now he's leading a Bible study in his home in Istanbul, Turkey. And so the New York Times reporter goes there a night as this group of people, uh, several of them, over 20, are gathered, Muslim men are gathered in this home as this guy is reading the scripture and talking about the truth of who Jesus Christ is to him. It's amazing. Four years ago, he was fighting in Syria for Al-Qaeda, and now he's a follower of Jesus Christ. The reporter asked him, did you ever think anything like this would be possible? His response was, if you would have told me four years ago uh, that this might happen, I would have slaughtered you right there I have to read what his wife said because it's I think kind of kind of kind of funny to be honest it says in a transition that surprised everyone not the least of himself four years ago Mr. Muhammad tells me frankly I would have slaughtered anyone who suggested his faith in Christ not only have his beliefs changed but his temperament has changed too today his wife Havin Rashid confirms with a hint of understatement listen to this this it's good that he is a much better person to be around (laughs) that's a better dude yeah he's a much better guy to be around yeah in fact the, the reporter laughed because they referred to him the people in his Bible study referred to him as the terrorist that's how they called their leader and that's what he was and we would have said this is someone out of the reach of our God and now he's teaching the scriptures and the truth of Jesus Christ to other men no one is out of reach for our God Paul the persecutor turned preacher because of the transforming light of our God. Last week, Steve was here, Austin, who's doing our prison ministry, former addict, who now is an author writing curriculum for people in addiction to find freedom in in Christ. I know a guy who was as rebellious as anybody on his college campus. Now he's a missionary to college campuses around the country. I know people who've been slaves to fear that are now counseling the the anxious. I know people who live their life as deceivers who now have integrity. I know people who were prideful who have been broken and now walk with such humility. I know the broken who have become whole. I know people who are spiritually dead who are now alive. But what I don't know what I don't know is what your clothes is going to look like. What is the clothes of your life going to look like? You see, sometimes, sometimes we say this about Paul. I've heard it so many times. We say, I don't have a Damascus Road testimony. You ever had somebody ask you to share your testimony, and we say, you know what? I don't have sort of like that story like Paul. But I wanna tell you something, I, 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 I do understand that. But listen, if you have a Jesus story, it has to have the core elements that are there in Paul's story because it's what we all share in common. First of all, it's humility. Paul was humbled, wasn't he? Have you ever been humbled in the presence of our God? Has God broken you and you've been humbled in his presence? Your life won't close well until that happens, I promise you. Paul repents. What is is it to to repent? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Paul was going one way to persecute the church. He, He meets Jesus, and now he is planting churches. That is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. There is no salvation without repentance in your life. Has that occurred? Trust or belief. Paul, the persecutor, of Jesus becomes someone who trusts in Jesus as his only Savior and Lord. Have you trusted him? You see, our story is a lot more like Paul than we thought. And then I, I love this. He obeys the Lord. First thing he does, they ask Paul to be baptized, and he does it. He doesn't ask any questions. He just obeys. So we see humility. We see repentance we see trust and we see obedience these are the stories these are the part of the story that will change the close of your life to something that you never dreamed possible what are the blind spots what are the false beliefs right now that the light of god's truth maybe for the first time is shining into your life and revealing Why? So you can be free. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's story. He calls himself the worst of sinners, a reminder that you loved him and you love us. You did something in Paul's life. You can do something in our life. Lord, here was a brilliant man who had many blind spots that had to be revealed. Lord, would you do that in our life so that we can be free? And, Father, today we're mindful that light reveals truth so that light can reveal truth. And Father, as we close today, could you remind us that's part of what it means to be a light, that we reveal your truth in a dark and broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 8.20, 9.40, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.